And welcome to another edition of the College Football Pack. I'm your host, Patrick Conn, senior editor of the College Wires. With me, as always, Tyler Natuno of LSU Tigers Wire. We're, we're talking about week zero in college football. Man, this slate is weaker than a Jim Harbaugh suspension, let me tell you. Uh, and that's actually funny that I say that, right, Tyler? Because that's where we're going to start. Jim Harbaugh uh, suspension, the NCAA Jim Harbaugh agreed on a suspension, so we thought, of four games, only to find out the NCAA was going to throw it out. And then the school, hoping to mitigate some pressure, I'm guessing, on the NCAA to do something, suspended for the first three games, so he's not going to miss a single game that actually matters. When you hear this, I mean, is that is, is that the sense you're getting? Is they're hoping to mitigate some of the punishment that's going to be coming down the road, or, or, or is this – simply going to blow up in their face. I mean, you know, that's certainly the logic behind it, right? You know, they're trying to get out ahead of this and we've seen this kind of thing happen before. And, you know, there's a pretty decent track record historically for being able to mitigate penalties from the NCAA by self-imposing. Usually that takes a postseason ban though. Like usually I feel like that takes a self-imposed bull ban. This one's kind of strange though, because I mean, like you said, seemingly had a deal with the NCAA to accept his four game suspension when the NCAA backed off that looking like, you know, seemingly implying they're going to come down harder. I don't really know why they would then accept this three game suspension that, you know, not that the initial four games was anything too severe, but it did at least, you know, cause him to miss a big 10 game. Now he's not going to miss anything at all of of any significance. I mean, it's, it's surprising to say the least, you know, I think it's kind of just going to, I think be a cloud, coming over the season because I think we all kind of are expecting that something's going to happen after the fact, you know, he's going to have to face a, a disciplinary board and and there's a decent chance that, you know, they'll probably end up doing stricter punishments than what Michigan's self-imposing here. Uh, so, I mean, it's just kind of weird. I, you know, part of me is a little surprised they would even try to add to that cloud by suspending Harbaugh when it seems in all likelihood more is probably going to end up happening in the long run. You know, and if you've been under a rock and you don't know what we're referring to, we're talking about the level two, level one, uh, violations by Michigan during the the COVID years, essentially, uh, when when face to face was not supposed to be happening, um, and then obviously the the big level one violations we're talking about is misleading, uh, you know, NCAA investigators. Which I just feel like a three game suspension, specifically given who they're playing, uh, really speaks to how this is nothing more than a slap on the wrist. And I I think the NCAA is probably going to take a harsher stance to this later in the season. And we will get there. We'll talk about this more, you know, as details come out, but as of now, uh, it's it's just a pretty weak look when you look at everything involved and what's going on with the Michigan program, Jim Harbaugh. And again, like I've said in previous episodes, this feels like, a harsher suspension is going to come, and then Jim Harbaugh is going to entertain the NFL once again, kind of a la Pete Carroll. But what I do think is interesting, and we're going to get back to the stuff on the build the football stuff. Now, BetMGM has recently updated their Heisman odds heading into the season. Uh, this struck me a little bit. I, I didn't see this coming. Second best odds, Jaden Daniels, quarterback at LSU, coming in right behind Caleb Williams. And then you go and you look, number three, Quinn Ewers at Texas. Now, we've talked about Texas at length. I I would be hard-pressed to say that Quinn Ewers shouldn't get some preseason love, 
However, a guy who really stood out last year, Drake May of North Carolina coming in at number 10. Were there any other takeaways you had from these preseason highs and odds from BetMGM that were just released days ago? Yeah, I mean, you covered a lot of the big ones there, right? I mean, so starting with the top two, you know, not really surprising to see Caleb Williams leading off the board. Um, And obviously hard to repeat as Heisman winner. We don't exactly see Heisman winners return to school super often. Um, But I think Bryce Young, or sorry, Bryce Young, thinking of another one that just did that. Caleb Williams has a really good chance to do that this year, I think. Um, You know, if he stays healthy and plays in every game – we've seen what he can do. I mean, he's a, this is a really prolific offense. He runs it really well. I don't really see any reason he's going to slow down statistically this year. So I think he's a good, you know, he's a pretty safe bet to, to potentially be the second ever to win it twice. Um, but yeah, obviously the big story here is Jaden Daniels, uh, you know, big riser all the way up to number two, you know, a guy who came in from Arizona state last year, I don't think with particularly high expectations because it had kind of soured there towards the end, you know, had a hot start as a true freshman and kind of regressed a little bit from that point forward. Um, but he really had a great year, you know, all year was able to make plays with his legs, um, you know, had the most prolific uh, rushing season an LSU quarterbacks ever had. Um, and he really developed as a downfield passer too, as the season sort of went on um, really improved in kind of seeing the field and his decision-making. So I think this makes sense to me. I mean, I've got questions about Jaden Daniels, but he's going to have a really productive season. Um, you know, especially if he stays healthy and is able to run the ball the way he did last year. So I can see that um, I'm with you. The two, I think that were a little high were, both Quinn Ewers at three was surprising to me. And then also Kate Klubnick at five. I think both of those guys, you know, obviously have a lot of talent. Um, no denying that former five stars in Ewers case, he was the number one overall prospect, but uh, you know, we haven't seen a lot of Klubnick, you know, he only played sort of in the, the last couple games last year and, you know, Ewers battled injuries, had some up and down play last year. I'm a little surprised to see those guys. And then especially with a guy like Drake may being down so low, I mean, Drake May's got the same Heisman odds as Carson Beck at Georgia, who's never started a game before. Yeah, you know, one guy that I think if you were going to put, elevate him, Marvin Harrison Jr., who's the highest non-quarterback on on this list, but even he's a little bit low for me. I mean, just go back and look what he did against Georgia, the best talent on the field, and they could not stop him. And so, for me, raise him up. You know, I, I think he was a little more deserving to be higher. There's a lot of projecting going on here, and, and obviously these odds are going to change from from week to week. But as of right now, as we're looking at the preseason, as week zero is getting to kick off, I was a little shocked by those. But in terms of talking about week zero, Tyler, we're talking about Nate. We got Navy versus Notre Dame in Ireland. That's kind of the kickoff to our season. You know, I, I'm excited about this game for a couple of reasons. Obviously, Navy has a new head coach, so you almost want to know how is this going to look? Uh, you know, after after being led by Ken Alphabet Soup, I'm not even going to butcher his name or even try to. Uh, you know, he he had been there for so long, and, and now it's a completely different look. How do they look? But another big question for me is Sam Hartman. You know, he's a guy who's who's one of the top quarterbacks in the country. Goes to Notre Dame. Uh, only to lose his offensive coordinator to Alabama. So Tommy Reese is running that program, uh, running the offense, I should say. So looking at them, there's a lot of questions between both of these teams. Uh, but but I do like the fact that the Fighting Irish are starting off the season in Ireland. Uh, so that, that excites me a little bit. But outside of that, I don't feel like this is going to be relatively close. I think the Fighting Irish are going to, you know, throttle them. 
essentially. So uh, how are you looking at this game, and is there any storylines that we should be paying attention to as we watch this game as we kick off another college football season? Yeah, you know, I mean, I mostly agree with what you're saying. I think Notre Dame is is pretty, you know, overmatched here over over Navy. I think, uh, you know, I'd be pretty concerned uh, if this were not a pretty decisive win. You know, looking at Navy, like you said, you know, pushed out Kenny Matalolo. He had been there a long time. Um, was was pretty surprising to see that happen. Uh, in all honesty, they promote from within with defensive coordinator Brian Newberry. And, you know, Brian Newberry, option guy through and through, you know, he had been at Navy for the last couple of years as defensive coordinator. Prior to that, was in the same role at Kennesaw State, uh, an FCS team that moving up to FBS next year, but they run the triple option too. So, you know, pretty immersed in that tree. Um, not going to see a change here, which is interesting because their, uh, you know, armed, uh, you know, service academy counterpart Army is making a change. Uh, you know, recent rule change from last year, uh, it affected the way teams can block downfield and that really limits uh, your ability to run the triple option successfully. Army's pivoting away from it. Um, Navy is not, though. So this we will see, you know, a pretty traditional Navy look in this game. And, I, you know, I don't really expect that to, to be too challenging for Notre Dame. I think you really hit the nail on the head with Sam Hartman. That's the main thing I'm watching in this game is just how does he adjust to, you know, a new offensive, assist, a new offensive system where he's going to be asked to do more. Um, and also just a new offensive system overall for this team because Tommy Reese left for Alabama, obviously. Yeah, I mean, that's essentially what it boils down to. And I, like we said, we'll be – it's interesting for that point alone, those two points alone. But as far as a competitive game, I'm not expecting much. Maybe a little more competitive would be the next game that we're going to talk about. We got the Trojan War. We have the Spartans and the Trojans, USC, San Jose State. Unfortunately, people like me and you aren't going to be able to watch the game considering it's on the Pac-12 network and nobody really carries that network. However, uh, what I will be interesting to kind of see as the follow-up, you know, the offense is not a question, right? I, I think we both can agree. The offense is not a question. Defensively, it's going to be a lot of new faces on the defensive side of the ball. I, I'm pretty sure the, the front four are all – transfers in we talk about anthony lucas who comes over from texas a&m uh you have jamil muhammad you have mason cobb who comes over i believe from oklahoma state they've got guys up and down this roster that are new um and and you hope that that's just going to be enough for a a team that uh really struggled to stop anybody last year defensively yeah you know this is a game i'm not saying it's going to be a good game i'm just saying it's one that i'm going to sort of be keeping an eye on um you know for, for a few reasons. I mean, first of all, Caleb Williams hasn't played football since uh, either December or January. I can't remember when that game was. But, you know, point being, end of the year in pretty disappointing fashion. I'm sure he's excited to get back out on the field, taking on a G5 team. This could be a really big game for him and just could be fun to watch um, if you're, you know, one of the people that's able to watch it. Uh, you know, but – and then looking at San Jose State on the other side, you know, not not a great group of five team, but a solid one. You know, they've got a really good quarterback uh, in Chevin Cordero. He's a Hawaii transfer, sort of one of the guys that, that left when all that blew up under Todd Graham. He's a good player, landed there last year. You know, so this is a good offense. You know, we, like we've said, we have a lot of questions about this USC defense. Could this get into shootout territory and maybe be something to watch? You know, maybe. I would say if you have a way to watch this game, you know, maybe keep an eye on it. Yes, and and talking about Hawaii, they're also got a big game in Week Zero. Last year, Vanderbilt traveled to Hawaii. This year, Hawaii's coming uh, to Nashville to take on the Commodores. 
And it's really going to be interesting because I want to see how Timmy Chang's offense and how his team performs uh, in this coming season. Obviously, it wasn't great last year. And, you know, it, it was a great start for Vanderbilt. I want to see if Vanderbilt can, can kind of build on that under Clark Lee. Now, I'm not going to say that Clark Lee is under any pressure to win, uh, but you do want to see that progression. And, and with what he was able to do last year, I think this year it's all about can Vanderbilt finally get back to a bowl game somewhere they haven't been since Franklin left. James Franklin left the team to take over Penn State. Yeah, you know, I think when you look at this game against Hawaii, I think it really is just a game where they need to make a statement. Um, you know, they won this game at Hawaii last year, you know, pretty comfortably. It wasn't too difficult. And that was when they were not, you know, they were not playing their best football at the beginning of last year. They sort of, you know, peaked near the end, as we saw with their wins over Kentucky and Florida. Um, you know, and I think, you know, like I said, this is just a Hawaii team that, you know, going back to, you know, the way it all ended with Todd Graham, this team is in a long, long rebuild. I mean, like year negative one still probably for Timmy Chang. So, you know, it, there's no reason this should be a competitive game on paper. You know, Vandy's got him at home. You, I think they need to need to show something. You know, I think we're excited, you know, at least cautiously optimistic about what AJ Swan brings to the table, you know, secured that starting quarterback job last year and really looked good down the stretch. Um, you know, he's kind of got the, the full-time job now. This could be a good team. I think like, like you said, I think a bowl game should be the goal here. And it starts with beating a pretty bad Hawaii team comfortably. It, it does start there, and I do expect that's what's going to happen. And we'll, kind of, we'll get a lot a lot of answers as far as how comfortable or how competitive, I should say, not comfortable, how competitive are they going to be this year when we're talking about the Vanderbilt Commodores, who kind of have been the laughing stock of the SEC over the last decade plus, especially on the football side. You know, and, and talking about, you know, coaches who, who need to kind of step up, I know you recently wrote something on For the Win on, on your head coaches that need to win. And, and, you know, there's coaches on that list like Jeff Hathley at Boston College, Dino Babers out of Syracuse. But the guy that I want to talk about as we kick off our hot seat discussion, and this might shock some people that you put this guy on your list, but we're looking at Brent Venables at Oklahoma. And really when you look at – and he's a guy that I've also mentioned under the hot seat for me – a guy that takes over a program who all intents and purposes, it seemed like they were still poised to compete and obviously losing to Texas 49 to nothing didn't sit well with them, but it was historically bad defense for a guy who's known for defense. And that's why I look at them and go, you definitely are in the hot seat for me because they cannot limp into the sec next year uh, under Brent Venables. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of teams that, or a lot of coaches, I should say, that really that were hired last cycle that did not have good year ones at all. Um, you know, Billy Napier at Florida, Mario Cristobal at Miami, who we'll get into in a second. But, you know, Brett Venables, to me, is the guy who I just – we didn't expect that. I don't think any of us really thought that they would have the kind of year one that they did. You know, I mean, that was a, a talented roster. Obviously, had lost a lot, you know, with with the guys that, that Lincoln took with him, you know, namely Caleb Williams. But, you know – I don't think they should have been as bad as they were. And, and in fairness to Brent Venables, it could have easily been a lot better than it was. I mean, they lost four games by three points. So, I mean, it, it you, this could have easily, you know, been a record that looked more like nine and three or something like that. And if that were the case, I, I don't think that we're even having this conversation at all. 
But when they played the best teams in the league, they were way overmatched. I mean, what, 55-24 loss to TCU, obviously the 49-0 embarrassment against Texas. This defense could not hang against the best teams in the conference. And when Dylan Gabriel got hurt, it just couldn't, it couldn't, uh, you know, maintain the success it was having. So first of all, Gabriel needs to stay healthy. I mean, this team really can't afford injuries there again. And this defense needs to take a step forward because if it doesn't, I mean, like I said, I think this is a candidate, you know, this team could pretty easily take a step forward this year, but you know, in, in, in fairness to Brett Venables, the team, you know, could have pretty easily had a better finish last year, right? They lost four games by three points. So, you know, could have easily kind of gotten more to like that nine and three, eight and four sort of range. And that, you know, we wouldn't be talking about this, but, you know, against the best teams in the conference, they were really overmatched, you know, especially defensively TCU wins 55, 24, obviously embarrassing 49, nothing loss to uh, Texas. You know, they've got to improve on that side of the ball because when Dylan Gabriel had injury problems last year, it, they really were just not able to keep up. Um, so he needs to stay healthy. They have to take a step forward on defense. I mean, Venables is considered one of the sport's brightest defensive minds. If he can't get that side of the ball figured out, it's going to be problems. And, and, and this is an Oklahoma team that's really not accustomed to not having anything short of a lot of success. You know, they win 10 games almost every single year. Going six and seven in year one, that's not a good sign. And he needs to get that trajectory turned around fast. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, I'm going to shout out my Red Raiders who dropped 51 on them uh, in their final matchup. Uh, of the season prior to the bowl game. But, yeah, you, you really – six and seven is not going to work. Uh, they're going to need to fix that. They're going to need to fix that in a hurry. So that's why we're talking about Brent Venables on the hot seat. Uh, but staying in the Big 12, there's another name that's really got to be watching his back this year. And we're talking about Neil Brown at, at West Virginia, a guy that's known for offensive football, but yet their offense is one of the worst in the Big 12 if you look at them statistically. I mean, where do you where do you start with with Neil Brown, the Mountaineers, and and really, they've really not had any kind of sustained success outside of the COVID year when they went six and four. Yeah, I mean, just to put it bluntly, I think that Neil Brown is probably on the hottest seat, um, certainly in the Power Five, maybe in the entire country. I mean like you said, it just really hasn't worked out. You know, he won 31 games in his last three seasons at Troy. So it's not like this guy doesn't know how to be successful. Um, but it just really is not translated to West Virginia and the power five at all. Um, you know, West Virginia has kind of struggled since joining the big 12, big 12, like nothing too insane, but you know, Dan Holgerson, you know, managed a couple eight win seasons, won 10 games, you know, they, they're accustomed to doing a little bit more than Neil Brown has done. You know, he's never won more than six games. His best year came COVID year in 2020 when he went six and four, still went 500 in the Big 12. Like, there's just nothing too impressive here. And I think last year they went in with some hype because you bring in JT Daniels, you know, a former big-time recruit, played at USC in Georgia. That really just didn't work out at all. Um, he had basically been benched by the end of the year. I, I mean, they need – I mean, truthfully, I – I would say they need to figure it out, but I honestly think the only reason Neil Brown is still there is because that buyout was a little too high last year. It was like 17 million around that range. Um, it's going down about by about 7 million this year. And I mean, truthfully, if they're not in like, if they don't have a shockingly good season, I have a hard time believing they don't bite the bullet on that buyout. I will honestly be surprised if Neil Brown gets past week five uh, this season in the big 12, especially with how they're starting out the year. You know, they're, they're playing Penn State, they're playing Pitt in the backyard brawl. It is going to be a tough start for the West Virginia Mountaineers and Neil Brown heading into this season. All right, so let's go to the SEC. Jimbo Fisher is a name that everybody likes to talk about. Whether you talk about some of the crazy antics, the 
I'm gonna call, I'm gonna call a press conference to call out Nick Saban. I'm gonna go after my fellow SEC brothers, or the fact of who he brought in to run his offense, which uh, was shocking to me uh, to hear that he was gonna come run the offense. I feel like the only thing saving Jimbo Fisher is his buyout. You wanted to talk about the buyout of West Virginia. The Texas A&M buyout is insane. And congrats to him and his his agent for working that deal out because that's job security. But eventually, you feel like the the oil money that's down there in, in College Station, eventually they're going to get tired and they're going to drum up enough money to get Jimbo Fisher out of there. Yeah, the Neil Brown buyout looks like, you know, pennies you find in the couch cushions compared to compared to what, what they're going to owe Jimbo if they move on from him. So, yeah, I mean, let's not bury the lead here. Dude is under a fully guaranteed contract through 2031. If you fire him before the end of this year, you owe him $77 million, um, which is just an amount of money that I can practically not even fathom. Um, you know, and with, with that in mind, you know, and I say this in, in the piece, I think that he would – it would really take, I mean, if there are, if there's any signs of improvement here this fall, I think he sticks around because of that buyout number. You know, if you get back to eight and five range, that's, I mean, maybe not ideal, but I think that's the kind of progress they're looking to see this year. Uh, but if you miss a bowl game again, I mean, look, because they, you know, a lot was made about all the losses that AM had in the transfer portal, which they did have a lot, but they really didn't lose a lot of like their key, you know, young core guys, you know, Connor Wegman, Evan Stewart, that connection's back uh, should be really good. Um, you know, defensively they, you know, Walter Nolan, the best recruit they got in last year's class. He didn't, he didn't let uh, leave defensive tackle. He's coming back. So, you know, they've got a lot of pieces. I think we expect that they'll take a step forward, but, you know, like you said, this is a, you know, a school and a booster group with a lot of money and you gotta, you gotta wonder that there's going to come a point where, they'll just not be tolerating it anymore. Enough is enough. It makes you wonder, are they ever going to put a year on that blank title that they handed Jimbo Fisher when they hired him? <laughs> Doesn't look good right now, and, and we'll see kind of how it all plays out, but this has got to be the year that they show something, especially with all the attention going to be on Jimbo Fisher in College Station in the year prior to Texas joining um, I will say this, I am looking forward to Texas, Texas A&M annual matchup, getting back on the schedule. That was one of my favorite games to watch as a, as somebody who didn't have a dog in the fight. Uh, but when we're talking about former Nick Saban assistants, we got to bring up Mario Cristobal in Miami. Year two, now year one wasn't, it wasn't bad. I mean, it wasn't terrible. But. With all the money that they talk about pouring into the program, it didn't seem like the results were there. And now people are starting to have questions. Can Cristobal turn it around in year two? Yeah, I mean, you know, I was going to say, I mean, definitely could have been a worse year one, but not really by that much of a stretch. I mean, it was it was pretty bad, you know, going back to kind of the same thing we talked about with Brett Venables, like it's hard to get fired from a job in year two. We saw Brian Harson do it. And that took, you know, both feudal off the field or feudal on field performance and off the field issues too. Like there was just a lot going on there. It's hard for that to happen, but man, um, you know, this first 18 months or so of Mario Cristobal has just not panned out how he sold it. You know, I think 
I mean, I, for one, thought that this was the right hire. I thought they were, you know, you're bringing an alumni, a guy who knows the region, can recruit, can fundraise. I really thought it was going to work out well. Uh, bad year one, you know, early recruiting returns. They got a top 10 class in 2023. They're down to 15 now in 2024. And, you know, they've got 21 guys committed. So it's not like they're you know going to fill out a lot more. You know, the early recruiting returns have just kind of dipped. I don't love the trajectory here. You know, last year on the field was pretty bad. You know, you lose to an A&M team that misses a bowl game. You lose a really ugly game at home to Middle Tennessee State. I mean, there were some embarrassing moments in this campaign. I don't really – I mean, you know, they portaled – they'll get better. But, you know, also replacing both coordinators, you know, I think that – I think that it's going to be tough. You know, Josh Gaddis heading to Maryland. Uh, obviously, Kevin Steele going to Alabama. It's going to be a new look, and and Mario had to change things up. Tough, tough look after year one. It is a tough look for year one or after year one as we're heading into year two. But there's still time, and there's still opportunity there for Mario Cristobal to get the Hurricanes back, you know, back where they need to be. Perhaps it could be a season like what Florida State just had, uh, and we're going to talk more about Florida State in just a moment, but – Norvell was a guy that people wanted to run out of town, but now it looks like he might be there to stay for a while. As we continue to preview of the 2023 college football season, I want to get into a little bit of buy or sell and who we're going to buy or sell are the Alabama Crimson Tide. There's been a lot of change with Alabama. They lost a good amount of players. Bryce Young is is one of the big ones that is now gone. Will Anderson is another, Uh, but Everybody wants to know, is Alabama going to regain the throne? Are they going to take that back from Kirby Smart, from Brian Kelly, uh, the two coaches that faced off in the SEC title game? So who, where, where do you lean, Tyler? Are you buying or selling the Crimson Tide in 2023? Yeah, I'm, I'm selling. Um, you know, I, I think this is really honestly to me shaping up to be the closest thing that you get at Alabama to a transition year. Um, you know, Obviously, they're talented. They're always talented. They've got a roster loaded with five stars. But, you know, the quarterback, I think the quarterback situation is a real concern, uh, uh, more so than it's been in a while when Alabama's had to make, you know, had a, had a starting quarterback move on. You know, we saw Jalen Milrow last year. I don't think he really was particularly impressive. Um, and then we haven't seen much of Ty Simpson, but the fact that neither was able to sort of separate themselves in the spring, you know, obviously Alabama brings in Tyler Buckner from Notre Dame. He's also not really a guy that moves the needle for me much. I mean, I kind of feel like he was brought in more as an insurance option. You know, if, if one of those two guys they already got, isn't the guy, I, I just don't love it. You know, they lose guys on defense too, Will Anderson. And and last year, I don't think Alabama really had the playmakers on offense that it had, had the last couple of years before that, but it loses the best one it had in Jameer Gibbs, who's off to the NFL. It's just going to be a big transition year for Alabama, you know, new coordinators, new scheme, and you got an LSU team that looks pretty complete in the SEC West and beat you last year. You got them in Tuscaloosa this time around. But, I mean, in terms of competing for the playoff and winning the SEC West, I'm selling Alabama. You know, it's hard to go against that logic, but the only caveat for me is it is Nick Saban, so it's kind of hard to go against Nick Saban. But I think that you make a lot of valid points because a trio of Jermaine Burton, Ja'Cory Brooks, Kobe Prentice doesn't exactly – Put strike fear into teams, especially given how they performed a year ago. And, and we'll kind of see with that. L- I think the LSU matchup really is going to tell us a lot. Um, and, and I think that they might have more trouble with Auburn this year 
uh, you know, with Hugh Freeze kind of taking over that program. And they, they look improved. I'm not going to say that, that Auburn is now the team to beat in Alabama. I, would, I wouldn't go that far. Uh, but I do think they're going to be a little tougher out uh, than they have been the last couple of years with Brian Harson running the program. And then obviously they uh, were go- they went with an interim head coach uh, for that matchup last year. You know, I'm, I'm on the fence on this one, uh, but for argument's sake, I'm going to say I'm going to buy just because of one thing. It's still Nick Saban. All right, so let's get into our next buy or sell. Tyler, you have the floor. USC Trojans, are you buying or selling? I'm also selling here. You know, I'm not down on USC. I just think that this is going to be a really similar season to what USC had last year. And what we saw last year was a really good team that was a step behind not only the teams that made the playoffs, but even the best team in its own conference in Utah. I mean, look, I've talked about them already, so I won't repeat myself too much, but Caleb Williams is a stud. I mean, that guy's fantastic. Still got a lot of questions about this Alex Bridge defense. You know, they're, I think, more talented teams in this conference than them. Um, you know, how are they going to take down Utah, a team that they played twice last year? And, you know, first game was closer than the second game, but I think both times, I think it was pretty clear that Utah was the more physical, you know, more competent team. I mean, they've got quarterback, you know, injury issues this year. Maybe that'll help USC. I, I just am not really buying. I think I think they're going to probably drop a couple games and maybe be in the New Year's Six range, but not really much else. Normally, I would try to go against you, but I am also selling here uh, when it comes to the USC Trojans for the reasons that you just talked about. Oh, but let's not forget the Pac-12 is full of quarterbacks on the top tier level. Uh, Michael Penix Jr. at Washington, Bo Nix at Oregon, who's returning. There, there's a lot of quarterbacks here. We haven't even talked about Jane Deloria. Uh, you know, there's there, the Pac-12 is full of quarterbacks. And honestly, I don't trust that defense. That's my big thing. Lincoln Riley, if if I had to say you got to go, you know, final drive of the game. Okay, yes, I will. I will buy in on that. But if if Alex Grinch has got to make a key stop at, in the fourth quarter. I'm, I'm selling on that defense, so uh, I'm going to go with you on that one. This one I am buying on as we get into our final buy or sell. Florida State, I'm going to buy. Uh, what Mike Norvell is doing down down in Tallahassee, I think he's doing a fantastic job, and you look at who he brought in. He has Johnny Wilson already along with you know Jordan Travis and Trey Benson. Uh, Keon Coleman from Michigan State comes in, a guy who is highly touted. You know, he's going to come down there. Oh, and they got Jaheim Bell from South Carolina, who's your tight end slash running back, kind of do a little bit of everything for you. Uh, you know, you, you look at the offense, it's stocked. And then on the defensive side, you got to try and slow down Jared Burst. All I'm going to say is ACC, good luck. Yeah, you know, I'd love to play devil's advocate here and say I'm selling for the sake of argument. But like you for USC, I just can't do that. I'm really high on this Florida State team. Um you know, a team that I think on paper is probably the most talented team um, in the ACC. And for that reason, this is a really important year for Mike Norvell. You know, last season, he really flipped the script. Uh, no one really thought they were going to have the year they had. He had a tough, you know, 2020 and 2021. He, he changed that conversation a lot. But if they disappoint this year, it can easily revert back because there's really no reason for them to disappoint this year. You know, like you said, offensively, they're loaded. You know, Jordan Travis, experienced guys, started a lot of games can run the ball, can throw the ball, good running back and Trey Benson on the defensive side of the ball, you know, bringing back verse. He was one of the best defensive players in the entire country last year. 
maybe would have been a first round pick. Instead, he's back and could be, you know, maybe even like a first overall pick kind of guy this year. And then on top of that, you know, just to kind of illustrate how well that Mike Norvell's portaled here over the last couple of years, they got two of the best portal players in the entire country on defense this past offseason. You know, uh, Fentrell Cypress, a corner from Virginia, Braden Fisk, a defensive lineman from uh, Western Michigan. Those are going to be impact players, too. I mean, it's a bold strategy, the way that Norvell's gone about using the portal. But now the high school recruiting is also starting to pick up. I like their trajectory here. I think, you know, we look at Clemson, they're good. They're going to be, you know, kind of another good Clemson year. But questions, you know, we'll see what, Cl- what Klubnik does. This, if someone's going to make that claim, you know, this year, you know, not Clemson off, become the top team in the conference. I think Florida State is easily the team to do it. I mean, they're the most talented non-Clemson team in the conference and might be the most talented team overall by a pretty wide margin. And let's not forget, Clemson and Florida State are going to meet early in the season. So we're going to find out real quick. And they could play again, too, because yeah, no divisions. Absolutely. Could could be a no division. You know, we're not guaranteed a North Carolina Clemson. Uh, it could be Florida State versus Clemson for the second time. Uh, but that's going to do it for this week's episode. We're going to be back next week as we recap the games of Week Zero, get you ready for Week 1. Uh, but for Tyler and Patrick, we'll see you next week. <laughs>